travelers to run the reel featuring mike ahoy it's terry it's captain fox jackson to ye and first mate dan we are not pirates we were at a lighthouse this past weekend hark ye bilge rat don't give it away even though we may sound like pirates we're actually atlantic mariners i seen you sparring with the gold best <laughs> Ye leave him alone. Well, now this guy's just delved into the <laughs> into the dialogue. <laughs> well, Wait a minute. It is quite good. Well, we're switching back here. If, if you couldn't tell, we watched a movie uh, called The Lighthouse over the weekend. It just came out at the time we're recording this. We, we like the dialogue quite a bit in this movie. It's fun. Why do you spill your beans? Winslow. What? 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 Our review tonight what? will just be us quoting what? the film in their awesome Atlantic Mariner dialogue tonight. Why doesn't anybody speak like this anymore? Because it's the 1890s. Well, anyways, we're going to talk about The Lighthouse tonight. So, The Lighthouse was directed by Robert Eggers, and it was written by Robert Eggers and his brother Max Eggers together, the brother team. And Robert Eggers previously did The Witch, Ooh. if you haven't seen that one, or The Vavitch. So The Lighthouse was released 2019, just this past Friday, of us recording it to multiple theaters, right? Because it had kind of like a staggered release. It wasn't, it wasn't wide. I think it's just limited, but it's been at a lot of film festivals in the summer and stuff, so... Oh, man, apparently people on the festival circuit went nuts for it. They did. That's why I was hyped to see this. I That's kind of what would happen with the, the witch, right? Yeah, yeah. People went nuts over that thing, too. So this guy knows his market. Whenever I hear, yeah, this director's like, I'm working on a new project, or like even hear an inkling of what he's working on, I always just immediately get super excited because the witch was awesome. And like, I know he's in talks to maybe be doing like a Nosferatu remake oh that would be good there's like a viking style revenge story he wants to do he's making an epic like fantasy i think story that might be that viking one you're talking about mm -hmm, the norseman or the northman i think is what it's called yeah but i i'm just like every time i hear something that he's working on i just get so excited because i love his like visual style and his I guess, I don't know, just this vibe of all his movies is so good. The trailer for this one kind of came out of left field, for me at least, because I, th I think prior to this I'd heard the Nosferatu rumor. Currently on IMDb, this has an 8.3 out of 10 uh, score. It has an 83 meta score, so exactly the same. On Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 92% tomato meter, 71% audience score. I'm just going to read the uh, synopsis here from IMDb. This is a tale of two lighthouse keepers on a remote and mysterious New England island in the 1890s. And our lighthouse keepers are Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. There are only three people in the cast of this. <laughs> the next one is someone who played the mermaid. Just three of them. One location, minimal. It's very minimalistic, I guess. Yeah. What'd you guys think? of the lighthouse i will say like beforehand um I, we usually don't say this but i'm just gonna say since this is like a slightly newer release that this is probably gonna be spoiler heavy 
I would I would assume. Oh yeah. Just be warned, I guess, if you're wanting to see it. Ye be warned. Just get out of here and go see it. Stop listening. Go buy a ticket right now. Be gone, ye. Well, what did you guys think of this one? The lighthouse. Man, I mean, I don't want to just go off and show my hand right off the bat. Might as well. You know, the more I think about this movie, the more I think it might be a masterwork of film. It's very good. It requires you to have a nice big think after you've watched the movie and possibly go brush up on your Greek mythology. Like we left the theater and I was like, I don't know how I feel about that. And then I thought about it and I thought about it all day the next day at work. And then I read about it and I was like, good God. This is a masterpiece. This is truly a work of art. It has, yeah, a lot of layers to it. It's kind of, you do kind of have to deconstruct it afterwards because it's not necessarily all right in front of you, I guess. Some of the things you see might not be real, you know, some of them might be real. It's kind of like a psychological thriller a little bit. A little bit, yeah. So this guy is really good at telling a story in a period piece. I wouldn't say like this is exactly a period piece, but it's put in a time period that Hardly any movies have probably ever done something like this. And he did the same thing with The Witch. Um, he told like a it was a colonial kind of story with them where the family got kicked out of the, you know, the colony. And they were out on their own. And in The Lighthouse, these guys are isolated, you know, out on their own in the 1890s. This is, he's really good at doing that. Yeah, you're right. It was kind of a similar, like, even a story structure to The Witch, I think. I don't know. I don't, Dan, you haven't seen The Witch yet, have you? I have not. What? I don't want to go into too deep into spoilers, but yeah. What are we doing recording? We gotta go. We gotta get Dan a copy of The Witch. Stat. It's on Netflix, so I'll be watching it soon. I'll admit, I'm a, I'm a big wuss when it comes to horror movies, and the trailer for The Witch scared the crap out of me, so I haven't touched it with a 10-foot pole, as they say. <laughs> I mean, we've reviewed Hereditary, and I made it through that, so I'm sure I can handle the witch. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, like, the key difference is, like, I feel like he goes really, like, all in on the style this time, with it being in black and white, and it's shot in that unique aspect ratio. That's, like, the first thing you notice watching this, is like, oh, he's, like, fully committed to (laughs) making this feel like a timepiece. Do you think it was to make it feel like an old silent movie like Nosferatu or The Old Cabinet? Well, it's interesting, right? Because it's purely a stylistic choice at this point because it doesn't feel like um, a 1930s film at all. It just looks like one. I mean, I think it makes sense in this movie because it allows him as a director and the cinematographer, whoever that is, I can't find it on IMDb here, to play around with light and shadows in a lot different way than he did in The Witch. Which that movie looked amazing too. Yeah, and for a lot of the shots in this one, it makes a lot of sense the way he plays with the shadows and just the lighting. Where they're in like a small um, cramped space where their beds are next to each other and they have like one lantern lighting up the room. You know, it's it's an interesting choice. The more I think about it, the more I like it too. It's like the darkness is so ever-present and it feels like it's kind of encroaching upon their space and slowly dwelling into their minds, yeah. It's kind of like how in a ghost story... Having that aspect ratio gets you right up in the characters' faces and makes you uncomfortable. This one makes the movie feel cramped, because it is cramped where they're at. There's barely enough room for two people. 
in there, especially if they don't really like each other to begin with. So I think it also lends itself to that minimalistic feel you mentioned earlier, TV. I wonder if, you know, if it had been full screen, full color, if people wouldn't have expected more in terms of set pieces and color. I think this helps it stay kind of barren. Yeah, it kind of limits itself a little bit. Mm-hmm. If anyone's curious, the uh, the cinematographer was Jaron Blaschke, who also did the cinematography for The Witch. Ah, nice. Okay. So he's got a, his own team. I like it when directors have like specific cinematographers they always work with because it helps them become a team, like I was saying, and they know what they want out of each other and it's great i had only seen one trailer for this movie and that's all i'd seen for this so i didn't really know what to expect i thought it was going to be kind of more along the lines of the witch where there's more horror elements in that one but this was kind of a, a mashup of a lot of different stuff like there's some creepy thriller stuff there's some comedy there's drama it's just a lot of mashups and it all kind of works together really well yeah this movie is a lot funnier than i expected yeah like uh willem defoe's character he's always farting all the time (laughs) it drives robert pattinson mad he hates it so much he's always (laughs) rambling about something he says like the same speech before he drinks every time (laughs) yeah i thought this was gonna be a, a thriller just pure thriller or horror or something like that but no there's a lot of drunk scenes with these guys stomping around and dancing. And <laughs> I love it when they're doing the slow dance and it looks like they're about to kiss and then they both realize what's going on and they start fighting. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, oh, and they put their fists up and start fighting each other. It's so funny. <laughs> we got to prove how manly we are now that we just <laughs> had this intimate moment. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah. As funny as that scene is, it's very, very impactful on the themes and story of this movie too. Yeah, and it's like good character development too for both of these guys for getting to know their character and also see their journey into madness because they just get drunk every night and then talk about weird stuff, do weird stuff, and then. <laughs> Have to wake up the next day all hungover and go to work, and it's it's a weird character development that really works pretty well and builds tension between them because they only really get along with each other when they're drunk and only for a little bit. <laughs> Which I think there's a lot of themes about masculinity in there, and I can't help but wonder if that's one of the themes. <laughs> it's always like on the brink of being antagonistic when they're drunk, but they always take it a little bit better when they're drunk. Like, <laughs> I mean, I think about some of the friends I used to have in college. And then I'm like, you know what? We only hung out <laughs> when we were drunk. <laughs> it, it very much is a a man movie in the sense that it explores male power struggles and how males interact with each other and stuff like that. One of the many layers. Jeez, I don't even know how to start talking about layers for this movie. I, I I'll take a stab at it. There's three main layers to this film. One of the layers like we were talking about, is male power struggles and how that works into relationships with other men. There's the theme of isolationism and how that makes you go mad and how dealing with past like harrowing events, PTSD, if you will, works into that too. And then the other big theme is the Greek mythological theme in here between the gods 
Proteus and Prometheus. Yeah, those are three pretty good boxes, I think. That, that that's good, Dan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three like good containers for the the sub themes. I think. I I think that's a good way to you know consolidate it down. I'm pretty sure we're gonna go all over the place with this one. Be like, ooh, piece of candy up here. Ooh, piece of candy. Up here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which one do we want to go through first? Well, why don't we go over the uh, Prometheus stuff? Because I read about it online. I just skimmed it and I was like, wow, that's kind of cool. But I never really got the chance to like delve deep into it. Ah, the Greek myths, eh? I got you back, Terry. Do it, Dan. All right. I want to hear this. So Proteus is Willem Dafoe's character and Prometheus is Robert Pattinson's character. These guys never interacted in Greek mythology, really. So Robert Eggers was like, it'd be cool to make a modern myth where these two would interact with each other. So here's both of them's claim the fame. Uh, Prometheus, the more well-known of the two, is the guy who stole fire and basically created humanity with the fire. And he was punished by Zeus to um, be chained up, basically, and have an eagle come and eat his liver or spleen, I think, every day, and then it'd fly away, and his organ would grow back, and then it'd come back the next day and eat it again. That was his punishment for stealing fire and giving it to humanity or whatever. Proteus was the old man of the sea, right? He had he was a keeper of like a lot of knowledge and stuff, but he hated sharing his knowledge and so would transform into different beasts to hide from people who came to seek answers and stuff from him and he is uh willem dafoe's character so how they're interacting is and this one is proteus is the keeper of the fire and he's got all this knowledge and stuff but he doesn't want to share it with anybody robert pattinson wants to get that knowledge get the fire essentially because he's transfixed by it and so all the stuff in here is kind of them interacting and having their power struggles as prometheus is trying to get the fire from proteus and you can see how that plays out in the movie (laughs) yeah that's a pretty cool i like that theory i don't know if he's probably come out and said that that's what he was going for too probably but i think that's really cool that very subtle like i think the movie works really well without that but i think it just adds an extra layer to go like "Ooh, this is awesome i think it's also part of that maritime mythology i don't know why but it always seems like greek things find their way into like piratey themes and sailor things well, the old man of the sea for sure there <laughs> yeah i mean you know well yeah and defoe talks about triton all the freaking time <laughs> mm-hmm. well robert eggers you can tell he's very influenced by kind of fairy tales mythology folklore that kind of stuff as well it was in you know the witch and now it's even more in the lighthouse because they've got the mermaids in there, yeah, the Triton, and the the Greek fairy tale. He likes to kind of tell these stories in a new light, which is cool. It's like a modern myth, essentially. I also got some, like, Lovecrafty vibes from it a little bit, which is like the madness and the forbidden, like, fruit fixating on this strange thing. And the tentacles, of course, helped a little bit with that. But the the sea, all this stuff, like, it really added a little bit of extra oomph. I love Lovecraft stuff, so... I don't think that's what he was directly going for, but I think that's, it's there, the themes. I don't know. 
I think he was a little bit. I mean, you know, the Leviathan is a huge part of Lovecraft. What we think is a tentacle squid monster is actually just the head of this gargantuan beast beyond understanding, which I think is a great metaphor for the isolation in this film. We just see the tip of the iceberg. Mm-hmm. Full icebergs up at the top of the lighthouse with all the with the light itself, but uh, Robert Pattinson's character <laughs> keeps wanting to go up there, but he just can't. And he wants to get the full experience, yeah, but he can't. And then when he does, it does not work out for him. <laughs> <laughs> There's a shot where Defoe's like up there, and uh, Pattinson's, you know, kind of down on the ground, and he looks up there and he sees Defoe's like naked up in there. And he's like, what is he doing up there? <laughs> that's kind of what starts it. Yeah, he's like, huh, what's up with this light? Yeah, and then I think that's kind of what incites his weird fixation on it. Even after he sees the gross stuff drooping out of the grates, <laughs> he still wants to go up there. If I was that guy, I'd be like, you know what? He can keep the light. I'm just going to stay down here, I think. like, <laughs> He's letting a little too much fluid use down here. And the other thing for the madness, I mean, when does the old man sleep exactly, you know? He's up all day, ordering Robert Pattinson around, and he's up all night, standing nude in front of the lighthouse. We see him sleep a couple times, but yeah, he's generally, he's always bugging Robert Pattinson. Yeah, like the man sleeps like an hour, two hours most, like sometimes. Maybe that's why he's a little off his rocker too. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. He's just like the perpetual tormentor for Robert Pattinson. He's always there when he's awake and even when he's asleep. I will say the performances in this movie are amazing too. Defoe and Robert Pattinson, they just kill it. Oh my God. They do such a great job. Yeah. I was so mean to Robert Pattinson when I heard he was going to be in this movie, but good Lord. Man, he's a good actor. Don't let Twilight twist your perception of him because he's done a lot of stuff outside of that. And I mean, of course, Defoe does great because he's always doing a great job at everything, but <laughs> this is right up his wheelhouse doing some crazy part like this. It's great. His monologues were my favorite. His monologue after um, he learned that Robert Pattinson didn't like his cooking or his lobster was like <laughs> one of my favorite parts of the film. And what's great about like their dialogue is it's kind of like with The Witch where like at first you don't really understand what they're saying because it's all these weird like this weird dialect and they're using a lot of weird slang that you don't hear anymore. But as the movie keeps going, you just suddenly just something clicks and you're like, ah, you know, suddenly I'm understanding. It's kind of like when you read Shakespeare or something, some old book that uses a lot of old timey language. It takes you a little bit. But then once you're in, you're like, oh, oh, yeah, here we go. I get it now. I do like that he does that. He does a great job of really sticking with the dialogue and not watering it down for understanding at important moments. And Defoe and Pattinson do a great job speaking it, too, because I'm sure neither of them have seen dialogue like that before if they have it's been very sparingly and they had to incorporate it naturally into their speech patterns and stuff and they just like completely nail it in this movie which is awesome i've always been impressed by defoe's versatility and his ability to speak with different accents and use different dialects it seems like he switches that around a lot Pattinson, though, yeah, he, he kind of changes dialogues and accents in this movie a couple times. Intentionally, obviously. Fits with this character, yeah. Well, yeah, because he came from up north in the forest because he was a logger before he comes all the way down to the middle of nowhere in the middle of the ocean, so. A tree man. Yep. 
this is the best acting I've seen all year outside of Joaquin Phoenix and Joker. But I mean, I don't, I don't, that's, that's a hard one to pick between, I think my opinion anyways, because all three of them nail it in their movies. Defoe's got it for me. That dude killed it. I can't see anybody else doing that part. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> you know, I think it's kind of cool that, like, I mean, I guess it's A24, but, like, a studio even, like, was okay to let this go, you know, because it is a very risky movie with the black and white, the aspect ratio, the dialogue. It's not an easily digested movie, I don't think. Well, A24's been making a great name for themselves recently. They're known for this kind of stuff, and people just are eating it up which is nice. It's nice to see a publisher that's like, hey, we're going to make these crazy art house films and actually get well known for doing that outside of just like movie buffs and people like us. So it's really cool, I think. <laughs> They've had a couple that got, you know, best motion picture from Oscar. Uh, Moonlight, Ladybird. People know that they've got talent behind that publishing label, so. It's refreshing to see a studio, you know, that is willing to take these kind of chances on these artsy movies because I enjoy seeing the big, you know, tentpole films, but after a while I want to see something more like The Lighthouse. It kind of sucks cuz when the uh, the studios do have like a risky film like with Annihilation or Blade Runner 2049, it usually doesn't pay off for them, but I think since this was probably a lower budget movie, it probably works in their favor. Whereas those other two were probably quite a bit higher budget. I what I was thinking about this one was we reviewed um, Perfect Blue quite a while ago, but this one kind of reminds me of Perfect Blue a bit because you get to slowly watch Robert Pattinson's character go insane. Is one way you could take this, and you don't know if what you're seeing is real or not real. Like when he's pulling up the lobster trap and somebody's head's in there. And then he confronts Defoe and Defoe's like, what are you talking about? You're going mad. You see a scene where um, Pattinson is trying to leave the island on the, the little raft. And Defoe comes chasing with the axe and cuts it up. And then later Defoe's like, you were chasing me with the axe. And so it's it's kind of got this vibe where you don't know if Pattinson since being messed with by Defoe's character or he's just truly going insane too so I was getting those vibes you know the more I was thinking about it you know this was a really good representation of this in a live action movie and then there's the siren too so oh yeah how could we forget that thing Here, here's something for you it could be Willem Defoe. oh it could be oh god <laughs> it fits in with the proteus stuff from greek myth he does turn into a mermaid at the end and it's interesting too because Defoe says um that the last guy with them went mad and was raving about seeing the mermaid or siren or a bunch of stuff and then pattinson pulls that carved figure out of the bed so which brings up one of the theories you know was just that you know defoe is a bastard who likes driving young men insane yeah it could be it i've seen theories that say that defoe is actually an older version of robert pattinson they're the same character and they're stuck in this purgatory time loop that just repeats over and over i don't necessarily think they're in a purgatory uh you could you could make that argument I'm not sure. I kind of like to lean to the um, thought that 
Willem Dafoe's character isn't like real and that he's the older version of Robert Pattinson, like um, Mike said, but it's like he's remembering his days when he was young and like how he <laughs> turned into who he is now, kind of. Yeah, there's so many ways this movie could go down because it could be, you know, the Greek mythology aspect. It could be that they go insane. And the whole thing with the lighthouse at the end is, you know, it kind of opens up and Pattinson sees that it's actually, you know, a lighthouse. He just murdered Defoe for no reason. <laughs> there's just so many ways that this could be taken. Um, somebody asked Robert Eggers why he doesn't show what's in the... Uh, the lighthouse at the end it doesn't matter <laughs> yeah but i liked his answer he was like you know if i showed you you'd go insane too yeah that's <laughs> what he said that ending scene's just great when he's just screaming and it's all distorted oh my god yeah that ending's so great because he just gets done murdering defoe and he's like covered with blood and as he's Climbing up the stairs, you can just see the whites of his eyes because he's like gone full mad at that point. And then as he gets to the lighthouse, he just comes out of the shadows essentially and's lit up by the lighthouse as he's embracing the forbidden fruit or whatever. And it's oh, it's so good visually and from the storytelling aspect too. Oh, yeah, it it's weird because when I came out of the theater from watching this movie i was kind of like you know i have no idea what i think about this but the more i sit and think on it yeah like fox was saying earlier i like it more and more and i want to see it again it's just fun to think about you know i'll be sitting there bored at work and then i'll start thinking about the lighthouse and then i'll just smile and then i'll be like wait stop that <laughs> people are thinking you're mad <laughs> i know what scenes fox was thinking about at work making him smile all the real uncomfortable scenes of Robert Pattinson spanking the monkey. Oh, God. <laughs> Zoomed in on his face. That happened a lot in this movie, now that I think about it. it there was probably like three scenes where he was doing that. It kind of goes into like the whole isolation thing a little bit, yeah. Where... You think maybe there's a reason that mermaid was stuffed in a hole under some padding in that mattress? I was worried he was going to find something else in there, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh no, <laughs> don't put your hand in there. <laughs> like That seems like a bad idea. Yep. Yeah, it is that isolation theme, though, and the masculinity theme. There is that. Uh, so the uh, one theory I've seen, I guess, you know, there's that scene where they almost kiss. Right now. Yeah, I've heard that rather, you know, they both almost are into each other because they're just really got some pent up aggression. But I've also seen that maybe Defoe wants it and Pattinson doesn't. And a lot of it points to how he kind of bosses Pattinson around in the first half of the film a lot. Yeah. There's a moment when, like, uh, Pattinson's holding Defoe in his arms. Like, they're both just drunk. And uh, he's, like, cradling him. And he going, like, he's like, I know why you're getting me all boozed up. I know what you're doing. And Defoe's like, no. No, you don't. Yeah. He gets really <laughs> defensive. Yeah. I do think there's some stuff in there with that, too. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. That they're just not willing to admit <laughs> how they're feeling about it. I don't necessarily think it's that i think it's more it's trying to represent males bonding with each other right and how it's hard for males to let their emotions out and everything right hence why the only time you see any affection is when they're both drunk because they don't have any 
inhibitions at that point or whatever the word is. But still, even then, when they realize what's going on, they've got to put on the tough guy act and be like, no, it's not that at all, because it's like they don't want the other person to know that they really do care for the other person in one way or another. I do think Defoe wants Pattinson. He calls him pretty a lot of times. <laughs> There's a scene where, yeah, Defoe is peeking through like a hole and like staring at somebody's butt. And I'm like, hmm. And he lies about his wife a lot. Oh, yeah, I definitely had a wife. Oh, yeah, I definitely <laughs> like those Catholic nuns. All the nuns were Catholic. He's got to boost his man card. <laughs> he does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's there if you, yeah, if you look for it. It's interesting. Which was also part of the times, probably, too. I mean, it was 1890, you know? You don't want to get burned at the stake or something. Yeah, not very accepting back then of uh, that kind of stuff. Well, and even back then, the man had to be the man all the time. You can't show any emotion at all. That plays into it. And then just with the the power struggle and dominance over the other person, Willem Dafoe is always bossing Pattinson around and treating him not like a man, really. And it just drives Pattinson crazy because he's not being acknowledged for his manliness. And then just (laughs) he takes it out on him at the very end. When he makes them act like a dog and everything. and What a bark weird and <laughs> scene. Walk them around the lighthouse. He's getting his power dynamic back. Yeah, he's like, I gotta show dominance over you. Which is a really unique way of doing it, but funny at the same time. And then it culminates in him getting the final one-up on Defoe by <laughs> breaking into the lighthouse where he was forbidden to go at the very end. It is like the, yeah, the sacred room that only the top man can go in there, and then he finally gets up there. Speaking of this, the only scene that I kind of, uh, I, I don't dislike it, but it seemed kind of weird and out of place to me, is the scene where Defoe comes running in with the axe <laughs> at the end, right before <laughs> and Pattinson just kind of turns around and hits him with the thing and then kills him. That scene just seemed very weird and kind of like out of tone to me. Well, it... it it kind of feeds into my theory that Defoe's not real in this movie, and that he's either just a figment of Pattinson's imagination, or he's just like the older version of him, remembering how he was as a youngster. I don't know. It seemed like a really uh, gotcha from a like an old horror movie, like, oh, he's not really dead. <laughs> he's coming back with an axe. <laughs> it's definitely that, and it definitely got me in the theater. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't expecting it, but it just kind of, thinking back about it, I'm like, huh? Weird, you know, <laughs> made me jump. I mean, he was just getting buried in dirt. He wasn't like mortally wounded either. I I, f- I figured he was pretty much, you know, done there at the end because Pattinson did beat the crap out of him. And he was an old guy. And he couldn't really run anyways with his hurt leg. But he was able to crawl all around the lighthouse. I don't know. He was saving his energy for for one last attack. Yeah, I didn't mind it. I thought it was like fun scene just a nice surprise he's desperate because he was going to be the beta instead of the alpha he had to get his dominance back it's interesting that this movie comes out at this period of time too because it's all about being a man and stuff like that so it's an interesting time for it to release like the toxic masculinity thing a little bit yeah which i guess also maybe i mean obviously it plays into the madness pretty heavily Potentially, I guess, in some theories. 
I've seen a lot of different speculations on the madness side of things. Are they both mad? Was Pattinson mad before he showed up there? Did Defoe drive him insane? Did Defoe want to drive him insane? Is Defoe real? I think, well, you can argue all of those things. We could spend all night talking about that. These are all just questions that you should think about while you watch it the second time. Yeah, absolutely. Because it is one of those movies that you're going to have to watch multiple times to pick up on stuff. And I'm sure there's multiple stuff that I didn't pick up this time that I'll pick up on, you know, maybe the fourth time I watch this, you know. I will say I don't think Pattinson was insane before he got to the lighthouse. I think it was the isolationism and having to deal with Defoe that made him lose it. See, obviously he's having an extremely hard time dealing with the fact that he caused the death of one of his crew at the logging company. I mean, the first hallucination he has is all the logs and the dead body floating in on the ocean. Yeah, speaking of that, so uh, Pattinson, right, he shows up and he says his name is Winslow. But then later we find out that Winslow is the name of a man who died in his company. And that his real name is Thomas something or other. So who here thinks that he just watched that guy die? And who thinks that he actually murdered that guy? Because he goes on a pretty big rant about, I could have killed him, I sure thought about it, but I totally didn't. And he just fell into that logging pit with no help from me. I think it, he did kill him and then he took over his identity and moved around. Well, basically took his name. I had never cons- considered that he had murdered him. I always thought it was an accident, but that's an interesting point. Uh, it was an accident where he did nothing to help out. Right. Because he said he could have caught him, but he didn't because he didn't like the guy. So he basically murdered him. <laughs> it's a weird choice to take on the guy's name, especially you know if he's telling the truth, which he might not be because lying is like a centerpiece of this movie. You know, if the guy died on accident, but there was nobody else to see it happen... Why not just go back and tell him that the guy died accidentally, which was super common back then for people working on logs near the river. They said that that guy had more prospects than he did, so he might as well just (laughs) take up his name instead. But obviously he would have to leave because the other guy was blonde. Well, he did. He did. But why would he have prospects away from that place? You know, it's 1890. It's not like he has a LinkedIn profile. Yeah, I don't know. That's all. That's what he said in the movies. I think he had more prospects, so... That was his reasoning. I don't know. I, I like that our main guy is an unreliable narrator. I, don't, I guess, yeah. What is true? We have no idea. Maybe he's just said his name was Thomas so that he could steal Willem Dafoe's identity. He does seem to be a pretty jealous dude. He's jealous of the lighthouse. He's jealous of the real Winslow's prospects. It's very suspicious. Uh, they're both awesome characters. Yeah. So what do you guys want to hit on last little bit here before overall presentation? What'd you guys think about the sound design on this one? There were several kind of iconic things. That sound of that like horn, the that thing was so cool. I love that sound. So creepy. Ooh. And like the the sound in the like the engine room, I guess, whatever that room is that Patterson's like putting the coal into. Like, it's just so loud and clunky. It, like, it sounds really good. He like had like some ear damage in one scene. Was that like a steam thing or? He was he put in like wads of something in his ear to 
block out the noise. Yeah. It's just that it was just so loud in there, I think, is what it was. What did you guys think about Defoe's farts? <laughs> Not expecting farts in this movie, I gotta say. I wasn't either. It was funny. <laughs> At first, I was like, what? And, like, kind of really put off by it, but then it was. I thought it was funny after it happened a few times. Like, okay, this is actually pretty funny. <laughs> That's like one of the first jokes they do in this movie, the fart joke. All right, are we ready for overall presentation then? Wrap this one up as best as we can. <laughs> I think so. So we've got a scale that we rate things on here in this lonesome lighthouse that we call a podcast. Um, oh. <laughs> It goes from burn it, pass, watch it, or buy it in that order. We all give our spiel. We all ramble out what we think about this movie, and then we give it a rating at the end. Ramble? That's what you think we do, TV? Like a bunch of mad sailors. We ramble. (laughs) (laughs) We ramble. So I've kind of said what I think about this one throughout. It's, It's a movie that you have to watch multiple times to get it. And I like those kind of movies a lot. I am looking forward to watching this one again someday when I get the chance. Because there's just so much stuff in here. So many layers that I didn't pick up on watching it. And it's funny, you know, it's uncomfortable. It's entertaining to watch, even though it's a very slow movie. It's not what I was expecting at all. I think I'm going to give this one a buy it because I did enjoy this one quite a bit the more I think about it. Yeah, I'm going to change things up here and just say buy it right at the start of my overall. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you can't tell, I love this movie a lot. I know, I spilled my beans already. I couldn't help it. <laughs> but seriously, this movie is like a masterpiece. I mean, it is like something that should be like preserved in some kind of salt mine a mile beneath the surface so that future generations can indulge in it from time to time. What a movie. I mean, from a technical aspect, from a writing aspect, everything about it is just phenomenal, in my opinion, and I'm absolutely going to buy it at the first possible opportunity. Yeah, this movie was probably my most anticipated movie of the year. I loved The Witch, and I love the Robert Egger style. And so when I heard he was doing a lighthouse movie, I just got so hyped. You know, the more I think about it, at first I was like, you know, that was pretty good, but I wasn't sure what to think. But as I've like let it simmer, I think it is amazing. Um, I think that, yeah, the dialogue, the writing's great. The look of the film just it nails the style he's going for. I think the characters, the acting is phenomenal. There's just two dudes talking to each other this whole movie pretty much, and it's enough. Like, it keeps my attention the whole time. Uh, I'm going to give it a buy it, too. I think this movie's amazing. I definitely want to go see it again. Buy it. It's totally worth it. Yeah, I don't got much else to say on this one. Um, It's the best movie I've seen this year. Nothing else coming out this year is going to top it, looking at the release schedule. So this will probably be my pick to win all the Oscars this year. So definitely buy this one. Uh, It's awesome. Even if you're not like into more the art house type films, give it a shot because there's a lot to like in this one. And it's just so well made and crafted that you can't help but admire it for that. All right. Well, that comes out to a buy it from all of us. Wow. A buy it from everybody. That's pretty impressive. That hasn't happened in a while. So for next week... um. I guess we might be taking a break. I'm going to be moving, so I might not have internet, 
but we'll see. I'll keep you guys posted, you listeners, on Facebook or on Twitter or whatever. So keep your eyes open. But I think for next time, we're going to get through one of our recommendations that we've gotten. Yeah. Shin Godzilla. Oh, yeah. I'm pumped for this one. Is this a Godzilla movie I should drink beer with? No. Toho Godzillas are great. This is the first Toho movie that's like taking Godzilla super serious in a long time. Like, there's the first Godzilla movie that was really serious, and then there's like Shin Godzilla. Man, the trailer looks awesome. I just watched the original Godzilla. Um, I bought it from the Criterion Collection, and I watched it not too long ago, so I'm pumped to watch Shin Godzilla. <laughs> well, so that's what we're doing, so that'll be exciting. I'm excited to dip back into some Godzilla. Yeah. If any of you listeners have recommendations that you want to send us, any movies that you want us to cover, we will be happy to do them, uh, probably, depending on what you ask. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you know if I'm not happy. Don't you worry. I'll let you know. You will inform us. I feel like we're going to get flooded with, like, piece of crap movies for recommendations and that's okay i guess you know <laughs> i'll call it out too you can uh you can send them to us on facebook or on twitter at run the real or you can email them to us at run the real podcast at gmail.com whatever works for you we're easy to get a hold of we're happy to talk to you so vote in our polls on facebook and twitter what do you think of the lighthouse do you think it's a masterpiece did you find it boring i can see both sides of that honestly so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hit us up. We want to hear from the listeners. Yeah. Hey, you must hit us up with the recommendations. All right. Well, thanks for listening to us tonight, everybody. We really appreciate it. Be sure to get in touch with us. This is Run the Real, signing off. <laughs>